Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. was 2008. Twitter had been in the social sphere probably a year. It'd been launched at South by Southwest the year before. If you were a member of the original Twitterati, you would know that only social media, technology, and business thought leaders were there, and a smattering of public relations types, founders, startups, but it was generally a small community. I joined in September of 2008. You can find that on my profile. If you also look on my list and the ones that I'm a member of, scroll all the way down nearly to the end and you'll see two lists developed by Black Enterprise. One is Women of Power, the other is business ninjas. Let me tell you, when I discovered that Black Enterprise had added me to any list back in 2008, when I was running my agency, I nearly laid down and gave up the ghost. It's about the time that I met Alfred Edmund Jr. At the time, he was a senior editor. Now, he's a senior vice president of digital and a lot of other things at Black Enterprise. Alfred and I have gone way back to 2008 because we were around the Twitter sphere, just tweeting, getting to know one another, getting to know others. Gosh, the first rapper that we know of that was on Twitter, MC Hammer. Yeah, this was long before Oprah joined, long before Ashton Kutcher and his throwdown with CNN. I want you to meet Alfred. Alfred is also my editor. As you know, I'm a contributor at Black Enterprise. To add to my list of credentials, I'm also an official business coach for Black Enterprise Forward, which is the rebrand of their couple decades old Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit. I ask Alfred on to talk about the new summit and the new direction, but I also wanted to have a rich conversation about the legacy and emotional connection that we as black people have with black media. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Alfred Edmund Jr., author, speaker, and senior vice president of digital and a whole lot more at Black Enterprise. Hey, how are you? Good, good to see you. Always good to see you. Good. And I know how we'll are... see each other face to face in about a week. I know, I know, but you know what? I guess we see each other probably twice a year, probably at the yeah, most. That's about right. Probably me and everybody, actually. <laughs> Hey everybody, today we have Alfred Edmund Jr. 
from Black Enterprise. He's one of the senior digital editors there. Alfred and I go a long way back, actually. Um, you know what? I think the first time I met you was on Twitter. That's probably true, which <laughs> we're talking about whenever Twitter started, because we were both uh, relatively early adopters of Twitter. Yeah, we were there before Oprah oh, no. and Ashton Kutcher. That's right. <laughs> And CNN and all the celebrities that showed up. You know what? I'm very proud of Black Enterprise and the relationship that I've had with Black Enterprise for a while now um, as a contributor. And now I'm going to be a coach at Black Enterprise Forward, which is really exciting. That used to be the Entrepreneur Summit. Talk about that. Well, just like with everything with Black Enterprise and if you're in business in general, we are constantly evolving um, to stay alive, <laughs> to thrive. Um, and um, after the Entrepreneur Summit have been around for a couple of decades, we're very well known for the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit. The, the goal was, suppose we were starting the Entrepreneur Summit from scratch in 2018. We started these conversations mm -hmm. last year. What would it look like? Suppose Black Enterprise is a new startup. What, it would, look, what would it look like? Oh. And forward is kind of the answer to that question. Um, we would serve the same mission, the mission of Black Enterprise, um, to uh, help African-Americans succeed as entrepreneurs, as investors, as wealth creators, professionally and otherwise, that will never change, as it was in 1970 when our founder, Earl Graves Sr., founded what, the magazine, the monthly magazine. Um, but we've learned over the years, um, over the decades, that you have to constantly reinvent how you deliver on that mission. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the vision doesn't change, but how you get there and how you serve the people you're serving changes. And so forward, we were like, there's a lot of people who are still, you know, traditional entrepreneurs. They start a business, they build it up. But you have these innovators, these creators, these people that take ideas and turn them into businesses. That they they are entrepreneurs, but they don't necessarily think in the same way that the traditional entrepreneur that we mm -hmm. made up in the 1980s and 90s think. And forward was okay. Let's build this out in a way that still serves the mission. Um, still keeps the vision, but serves in, in a way that makes sense as if we were starting off today. Excellent. So we'll talk more about the highlights of FWD or Forward yep. um, in a bit. But how about we have a culture soup moment, Alfred? Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, I'm always looking on the Internet. I mean, I'm always updating and I see what's trending and going on. But I've noticed that when something happens in the black press, the Internet explodes. Um, I, the first thing I think about is when Rich, Rich Dennis actually bought Essence, which was huge news. The, the internet reacted and it was in a great way because people were so excited that another one of our publications was back in our possession, right? Right, right. And then we had some sad news recently about Johnson Publishing and Ebony Magazine going um, out of business. And there was like a collective grief that happened on the internet. You remember that happened? No, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Ebony and Johnson Publishing has been a huge part of, of even Black Enterprises coverage over the years. Mr. Johnson was a mentor to um, mm -hmm. our founder, Earl Graves. Um, we covered him heavily. Our current chief content officer, Derek Dingle, did a landmark cover story on John Johnson when we named him Entrepreneur of the Decade in the, in the late 1980s. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you go from that to um, the brand still is still alive. It still exists. Um, the job, now people should understand the magazine brand still exists because it was acquired by a black private equity firm a couple of years ago. Right. Um, 
but Johnson Publishing, the founding company, is bankrupt. So, right. But not bankrupt, but they've gone out of business. They've liquidated. So, so right. they're bankrupt. And and uh, so you know, we're we're emotional about our our, our brands because mm-hmm. black brands are you know they almost always have to serve both a business objective like Black Enterprise does, but right. they're a mission. You know, we you know Johnson Publishing and Ebony and Jet came into being because we needed it because we were unrepresented or misrepresented much as we still are today in many cases, right. out mainstream media. So it wasn't just, oh, this is a nice business proposition. This was emotionally connected to that, the same way we're to Essence. Yeah, Essence still served black women when it was a Time Warner publication. Um, and right. so, you know, I got friends and family, I consider family in the profession, who worked at Essence over the years. One of my two mentors, Audrey Edwards, is a former top editor there. Of course, we all love Susan Taylor. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like Essence wasn't doing their job when they weren't Black-owned. But we all know that it matters if a media outlet is actually Black-owned and Black-controlled. And and so um, Richard Lou Dennis's story was so amazing. Th- th- there's just a lot of emotional things. And what we do, especially on Twitter, but not just on Twitter, and social media in general, mm-hmm. social media, to your point about culture soup, is almost our collective zeitgeist of emotion to be able totally. as black people to share what this means, to argue about what it means, to to be a little petty. I'm I'm a, big, right? I'm a petty person. I like to <laughs> But it, but but it really is. So you're right. Those book those book ended events, the return of Essence to black ownership. Um, two in, in the case of Essence, Richard Lou Dennis already had a great story. Started a you know business um, on right. sidewalks of Harlem. Grew that yeah. major business. Sold it and used that money to acquire another great asset. And of course, the Johnson Unpublished story is an epic story. And uh, but here's what I tell people, by the way. Uh-huh. Johnson Publishing lasted like 77 years. Isn't that amazing? So on the one hand, you know, it's, it's like it's like it's like when your grandma dies. I mean, even if mm-hmm. she's 100, you still are sad when she dies. You're gonna miss her, but right? At, but at the same time, how long did you expect her to live? When most exactly. businesses, most businesses, if they survive two and a half, three years, that's a win. And then you say, what a long, rich life she lived. Absolutely, and and right. I, that that was my take on even on I, I did a post on Facebook um, around this and LinkedIn. I shared it on LinkedIn too. Let's not think of the day Johnson Publishing closed down. Mm-hmm. Let's remember the what, the seventy seven years of life and, yeah. and impact it had because Ebony paved the way for Essence. Ebony paved the way for Black Enterprise. Ebony right. paved the way for Black advertising agencies. Ebony right. paved the way for even um, multicultural um, and segmented programming because before Ebony, everybody watched the same stuff. Right. The idea that you could segment a segment of the population and serve it, was that was a, that was a new thing that black people pioneered. So Absolutely. we're still benefiting from the legacy of John Johnson, and that's what I think we should focus on, and then carry that legacy forward through Black Enterprise, Blavity, um, you know, some of the other me- media brands right. need to carry that baton. I mean, it's time for us to pick up the baton and do our job the way Johnson more than ran his race. Right. And I wanted to touch on the camaraderie, even if it is just, you know, we're all in it together type spirit that black enterprise has when it comes to other black owned publications, you know, whether it's Steed Media with Rolling Out or Blavity, you guys just honored Morgan Devon. That was awesome. But I love the spirit that you guys have because 
you know, magazine publishing, it can be very competitive, but you guys choose to treat it like family. You agree? Well, I do agree. I used to be on the board of the American Society of Magazine Editors and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I always, you know, tell people when I talk about the magazine business uh, and black brands in particular, there's no logic. It's not logical for us to so-called compete. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we we, are, we end up competing because we, you know, there, there are seven. There may be seven to fifteen. There are less now. Magazines for women. Yeah. I mean, Elle, Vogue, Glamour. You know, I mean, you name Marie Claire. Right. They got space. They got room. They don't have any problems with that. And right. so we we can't afford to have any black media outlet that's viable fail because each of us serves different markets. And that's the other thing. Black people don't need a one-size-fits-all magazine or, or right. media platform. I mean, in fact, that is probably the biggest thing that hurt Ebony because uh, just like Time and, mm-hmm. and, and all those, those one-size-fits-all brands had – couldn't adapt to an environment where people want to be laser focused on the thing they care about. So, totally. you know, yeah. the same thing with black people, you know, the mm-hmm. people who read black enterprise cause they're down, they weren't really want to know about business and finance. Uh, those aren't necessarily the same people that's reading essence and those right. aren't the same people that are going to blavity, even though there's overlap between those brands. By all means. So my thing is if there can be 15 different magazines serving white women or women, but we, you know, they were serving all women, but right. <laughs> we get um, it. Why can't, why, why couldn't there be um, 15 different magazines or 15 different media brands serving black people because black people aren't monolithic and, 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 uh, and, and there's, you know, there's room in the marketplace for all of us. You know, um, talking about Johnson Publishing, I really enjoyed the PBS documentary that you had a part in recently about Boss. I think that was the name of it. Yeah. Um, and you did some voiceover and you did some interviewing and such. But I love to see how they wove in the story narrative of the black press and how extraordinarily important they were, these outlets were, to um business building and you mentioned how Johnson Publishing was so instrumental in um, the birth of segmentation and diversity marketing. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Boss is a great documentary. I'm trying to remember the name of my man Stanley who's the uh, the, 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 the great black documentarian mm-hmm. who produced it. It'll come to me. Uh, I remember his first name. I can't call out his last name. Um, people should go to Boss um, at pbs.com and check it out and buy it because I don't think it's streaming live anymore for free, but you can still purchase it. It's worth it. Right. Uh, he did such a great job, him and his team, at, um, telling the story. And they got they covered a lot in a real They really did. I mean, from the burning down of Black Wall Street yeah. all the way up to Rich Dennis and, and, and Essence. to make it connect to who we are and where we are today. So it right. was how they took, this is what happened, this is what it means. And I was just glad to be um, myself and um, Butch Grace was was obviously interviewed um, to talk about Black Enterprise today. Um, Earl Grace Jr., the son of the founder, who's been CEO since um, maybe 2006, I think. Uh, right. And uh, and then Derek Dingle, our chief content officer, 
he and I are the walking historians of black business. <laughs> yes. So we all, you know, we were glad to be able to contribute and help. But they just did a great, great job of telling that story, the story of black business. And I was happy that I was able to to add to that story. And, and uh, you know, that's what we do every day. Black. So what, what they're doing in that documentary is like life at BE. We, we're always talking about that stuff. So it was right. like, I was totally geeked out. Well, it was awesome to actually see people that I know, which probably means I'm getting old. <laughs> but Alilia Bundles, yourself, yeah. you know, um, um, some of the others from Essence, uh, Michelle Ebanks and others. It was just amazing to see real life history makers. First of all, we're not old. We're, rebu we're robust and long lived. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And that's, that's right. Therefore, we know a bunch of robust <laughs> and long-lived, amazing people. Right. Have been blessed to cross paths and work with them and, and mm -hmm. sit at their feet. And, uh, you know, I, 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 one of my hashtags that people see me use every day on social is, it's good to be me. Yeah. And I'm like, if you knew, I mean, knowing you, if we, if we both took the, just the people we met who touched us or, and, and had, had real conversation with and got to sit down and learn from them, man... We Absolutely. We well, and that is the spirit of the culture soup. I bring my friends on. You have to be a friend, new or old, right? Yeah. And we tell the story of tech culture and business, and you guys sit at the epicenter of it all the time. Yeah, it's a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard work. It's good work. It is good work. So let's talk about how you got to here because you've been with BE a long time. I've seen some of those black and white pictures. Yeah, my, uh, March 4th of 2020 will be my 33rd anniversary, Whoa. I think, of coming to Whoa. BE. March 4th, 1987 was my first day on the job. That's and, amazing. Uh, How old were you? It was a great day. How old were you? I was four days away from turning 27. My wow. 27th birthday was four after I got hired. Okay, so, so I gotta ask you, what did you do before then? Were, were, you, were you doing something else? Were you working before you came to BE? If you even remember, I mean. Well, I almost <laughs> take the day, the first day and the last day of every job I've ever had. Yeah. In part because I BE most of the time. But no, right. um, I, I, I did not study journalism in college mm -hmm. right away. People that know my story know that. My degree is actually in art, in the creative okay. arts. I'm so, an English I'm, major, so I get it. Visual arts with a minor in economics that I never thought I'd use. But, of course, God must have other plans because he sent me to Black Enterprise, so it came in <laughs> handy. But, no, um, after graduating from Rutgers um, University, Rutgers College, I'm a proud Rutgers alum. Yes. Uh, in, in 1983, I got my first real job. and I, I started working in newspapers, but my first really important job, I ended up becoming the editor-in-chief of a black weekly newspaper in Brooklyn, New York. At the oh. time, the largest black newspaper in the city by circulation that was then called Big Red News. It's now called the New York Beacon. And through a series of uh, lucky coincidences and, and turns of fate and God having his hand on me, in less than a year, I ended up being editor-in-chief of the publication at age 24. Wow. That's and, huge. Yeah. <laughs> as a result, that, that was very important because... Um, I was running one of the largest black newspapers in, in New York City. Uh, mm -hmm. I did that for two years. That's how I met Terry Williams. That's how I met the Percy Sutton and the Sutton family. I used to go on WLIB. I mean, all that stuff, I would, you know, because if you're editing a, a major black newspaper in the city, 
you are now one of the people that are right. in all the, the pulse of the city. And a lot of the mentors that I've acquired, acquired during that time. Then I went to the Daily Challenge, another, the only black daily in the city. Mm-hmm. Friends with the publisher, Tommy Watkins and his daughter. Um, did that for a short period. And then a person I hired to work for me at Big Red, who you, you may know, Pamela K. Johnson, who went on to Essence. Oh, Not there now, yeah. Essence. Um, she's a filmmaker now. Um, when she got to Essence, she told me about a magazine opportunity at a black men's magazine, which is she knew what I wanted to do. My original mm-hmm. goal was to get to GQ or Esquire. Oh. Cool. And there was a magazine called Modern Black Men. Uh-huh. Um, they were looking for a, a number two editor, uh, okay. senior editor. And, and she told me about it, and I interviewed, and I got the job. And I ran, uh, not ran, I was the number two editor, editor there for a year. Uh, but I just, I, that put me on the national map. So I, I did cover stories on Mayor Tom Bradley. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Clifton Davis, the actor. Wow. Uh, my biggest cover and still my most favorite cover I ever did was at that magazine, which was my, I interviewed Miles Davis for a cover. Oh, wow. God. That oh, should have been amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was scary at first. Yeah. But we had so much fun. And, yeah. And, uh, it's, still, it's still my most exciting favorite um, magazine. I know. hear he was a character. Oh my God, that's an understatement. That's how I was. So crazy. <laughs> I was worried. I was like, "This dude's gonna tear me up," because I like jazz, but I'm like, like, mm-hmm. not, like a jazz right. expert. And right. I was like, and he was known for like brutalizing journalists that didn't know what they were talking about. Oh no! But then he was like, "No," he said, "I do that to the white journalists who think they know jazz." But- <laughs> so he treated me like a like a little brother, and he was like, oh, great." And we didn't finish the interview on site, so. He had me call him at his apartment, and we talked some more. And mm-hmm. at any rate, did that for a year. First day on the job, January 6, um, 1986. Last day on the job, January 4, 1987. And then March, um, did a short um, stint at a magazine called Class Magazine. Mm-hmm. Very short. Um, took a job as a managing editor. But I got my call back for my second interview from Black Enterprise, and I just wasn't saying no. I yeah. Went back. I mean, how could you? <laughs> I'm sure Renee John Sandy of um, Class, who who was so gracious about me, you know, leaving right away, even though he had just hired me, mm-hmm. treated me like I'd been a long. Even in the year, he's, he's since passed away. Even in the year since then, after I left him, you would have thought I worked for him for ten years. The way he, oh, treated, wow. he treated me so well, even you know when I used to go to his events, uh, even though I worked for him like maybe a month. And, yeah. And, and left when he, you know, when theoretically. Sounds like good people. But he was like, if I were you and Black Enterprise offered me a job, I wouldn't turn it. <laughs> <laughs> he knew. <laughs> and so, yeah, I got hired by Black Enterprise um, by my my other mentor. I talked about Audrey Edwards, um, former Essence editor. But Shirley, Cheryl Hillier-Tucker um, was managing editor at Black Enterprise, running the magazine at the time. And she hired me and the rest is history. one-dimensional. You and your lovely wife, Zara, have some interests. You want to talk about those? Well, we, we, we started a relationship education company called Grown Zone. I don't want to burn up all of our time talking, uh, you know, because like, we can talk forever about that, too. But mm-hmm. you go to grownzone.com or you check out our book, which is still selling really, really well. Good. Love the Grown Zone. And basically, um, we created a, a business, a philosophy. Um, the book is about that. 
about making healthy decisions, having a framework for making healthy decisions in pursuit of sex, love, and relationships. Um, based on my personal theory, based on both experience and 35 years of observation of covering business and black mm -hmm. business in particular, that usually when a career is, is derailed or fortune is lost or a business collapses, it generally is not before a career, business, or financial reason. Mm -hmm. It usually is some choices that were made, whether it's personal relationships, family relationships. Some of it ends up getting public. That's People don't look. The Me Too movement, a big part of that is, yes, inappropriate behavior, but think yeah. about the careers, the businesses, the financial costs of people making personal decisions that are unhealthy, um, harmful decisions to themselves and others. So totally. Grown Zone grew out of this idea that we shouldn't be doing this stuff by chance. We don't run mm -hmm. businesses by chance. We don't build careers by chance. But we're taught both by popular culture, religion, that you just do love. You just Arbitrarily, right. You just right. fall into and it. Right. Pay a high prices, individuals in the society for that. So people that want to know want to know about more about that can go to grownzone.com. Awesome. Um, my wife is an actor. Yes. She's a good one too. For a new film to come out that she just did. Um, this summer, um, that should be at the film festivals this summer, called Libba. Um, you, you know, like I said, I'm a bodybuilder, so yes. If you follow me on social media and on Instagram in particular, I always tell people, don't follow your dreams, follow my Instagram. Yes, because you're gonna see it all. <laughs> all the stuff that I do. Um, my mother um, once said when I was a kid, I was allergic to boredom. So the way I am now is the way I've always been. I have yeah. a wide range of interests. Paul Robeson is my hero and role model, the greatest um, graduate of Rutgers ever. He was an actor, singer, athlete, um, activist, um, every, you know, everything you yeah. can. And, and based on that model, I'm like, I'm going to make time to do the things that I have talents and gifts and passions for, and I'm not going to just do one thing. And my career has lasted as long as it has, in part because of that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, I, I like to have my friends on because it also shows how well-rounded you guys are. <laughs> so smart. But then you have you have families, you have other interests. It's important to share that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't thrive if you if you become one-dimensional. That's, that's right. the thing. You can't, if you're not adaptable, if you're not willing to not only, you know, uh, cope with change, but to embrace change and sometimes force change to happen even though change obviously initially is uncomfortable. Right. Uh, you know, so I, for a lot of reasons based on, you know, even since I was a kid, I, I, I don't, I like when things change. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, um, I got, I got into social media when they were laughing at people who wanted to be on social media. Weren't they? You know, it was like, <laughs> who cares what you have for breakfast this morning and all this stuff. Right. To me, this is just another tool to do what I've always done, which is learn from people, share with people, you know, and now you can't do media without social media. In right. fact, social media is media. Exactly. And, and uh, so. I'm so proud to be second generation Twitterati. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> <laughs>
and they all bring some value. But what I've learned over the years is that sometimes it's more, it's, it's too much about telling me what to do and not mm. enough about showing me what to do so that I can get boots on the ground when I get back home and actually do it and see real results right away. Right. Right. And, and, and so, um, we, we, and you're there as a coach. We do a lot of coaching at BE conferences because, like, you're only going to learn but so much sitting sitting in the audience listening right. to panelists talk. I mean, you may totally. talk and you may do some things, but at some point, somebody who knows what they're talking about, who's an expert because they do it, not just because they talk about it, right? As you are, can say, "No, this is what you need to do if you <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and this is the result, and this is the tools, and and so so we we try very very hard. This is not just with forward. This is with all of our conferences. Mm-hmm to create conferences that, yeah, we have, you know, big speakers like a Wendy Williams and yeah, there's, there's going to be big sessions and, but you should be coming to forward to work. Right. You should be coming to forward to say, okay, I want to get from point A to point B, whether that's growth and revenues, whether that's, you know, growing a bigger business, whether that's moving it um, into a different market or whether it's just stop losing money. Totally. <laughs> I've been there. I understand grown zone. Yeah. That, you know, now that I spent the last five years being a real entrepreneur with GrownZone.com, mm-hmm. it's one thing to talk the game, it's nothing to play the game. It totally is. You know, this is my second round at entrepreneurship, which is exciting for me. Um, and of course, it's a, a different way of doing it. It's an evolution, that's for sure. But I think that's what makes Black Enterprise so special to me, because while I was running my agency, I was in touch with you guys then. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, my stint at AT&T, we were deep in the, in the, in the, the trenches together. And now on this end of it, you know, I'm able to go ahead. No, I was just saying, I was no- noting that AT&T is still a major partner of Black Enterprise. Known, Absolutely. Like, doing no small part to your, your role at that company and our relationship. Yeah, well, that was just awesome. <laughs> and then now, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm in a position to even give back in this way as a coach. So, you know, to show up and actually pour into small business owners is just awesome to me, you know, bringing together the 26 years that I have, you know, people are like, 26 years, what did yeah. you do? Start when you were two? You but, would be calling you a liar all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but seeing it from all ends is so exciting to me and to be a part of this um, conference is very exciting. So you also another um, there's two pieces of what I call the magic of a black enterprise event, and that's true it forward. Um, and you hit on both of those. One is the people who are there, like you, have experienced business from multiple sides, and therefore yes. can provide credible, um, valuable advice, direction, information, and access that that frankly. For the price of the conference, you couldn't pay to get that. I mean, if somebody yeah. wants to pay you for right. what really worth on a, a hire you, you know, you it's it's a bargain. It's a huge bargain. Right. I, I, you know, I tell my friends who are, who are entrepreneurs, it is a bargain. You, you do the math. Totally. But the second thing is, and this is about true for Black enterprise in general, and it's certainly true of our conferences. Um, you know, I've I've been to Forbes' conferences. I've been to other business conferences, and they're really great. There's, you know, again, no shade, no shade. Mm-hmm. But but I tell people the difference between Black Enterprise, or Essence, or even Ebony when it was there, or any other brand. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna speak to, stick to Black Enterprise. Forbes doesn't need you to stay in business. Right. 
Like they want you to stay in business and they will right. help you stay in, you know, they, they want to serve you. Right. But if a black business folds or black business in general don't do well, Forbes is going to be fine. Right. For a black enterprise, we need everybody at forward. Totally. We're in that. Right. Even as a business or executive coach, if you want to be involved with Forbes, you have to pay them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so your like, point is well taken. Like they don't need us. <laughs> right. You know, and they don't. And 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 so that, so again, when people say why is essence so important? Why is black enterprise so important? Uh, why 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 are these black media brands important? Because our fates as entrepreneurs, our fates as businesses, our fates as black professionals, executives, whatever it is that we do are tied together. Absolutely. In a way that is just not true with other media brands. It's so true. You know, and, and, and so, you know, that, that's why I get people ask me, what, what, why have I been at BE as long as I have? It's not like I've never had a chance to leave or I never thought about leaving. Right. I can't find that magic. Yeah. That my fate and my success is inextricably tied to the success of the people that I interact with, whether they're event attendees, readers of the magazine, visitors to the website. We all in this together, even though we may be doing it from different angles. Totally. And you know, this emotional connection that you talked about that we as black Americans have with black enterprise, with Ebony, with Essence, is so true because I hear people, no matter what kind of person they are, they could be the officer, the highest ranking, whatever, fortune, whatever, right. <laughs> or a small business owner that will all say the same thing. I remember seeing that black enterprise magazine on my coffee table when I was a kid because yeah. my dad always looked or my mom always looked. It's the same story. And we all have that, you know, connection with this brand. Well, the two things that, and again, you know, Derek and I obviously have been, you know, Derek's been with black enterprise longer than I have, um, which is amazing because he came pretty much straight out of college. Um, but, but the difference between us, I, I never left, he left and came back. So mm -hmm. he, he had a, a break in his, his tenure, but there's two things that we never get tired of hearing, but we hear all the time for everybody. Everybody can tell us the article they read in the magazine and now increasingly on the website that said to them, I could do that. Right. You know, <laughs> so everybody remembers that, that day, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about everybody from former American Express Chairman Ken Chenault to um, Eugene Profit of Profit Capital Management. I mean, everybody can tell you that story, that that issue, or that article that was right. like, "Oh, I can do this," uh, right? Because he couldn't get that anywhere else. The other thing we always um, get is everybody remembers what that time when they made when they got covered, like that yes. time getting covered. Oh my goodness! I gotta stop and tell the story on the website. That could be they got to speak at an event. That could be in the magazine, but everybody will say, you know, that first time Black Enterprise said that I mattered. Right. So huge for me. Right. I got to oh. tell a story about David Huntley when he made Most Powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a, Derek came out and some of your broadcast editors came out to interview a few of our executives yeah. and he didn't know it. And Derek took the time to walk over to him and let him know and he would probably deny it, but this man welled up. And <laughs> we're talking about one of the highest ranking men in corporate America. And he turned to me and he said, you know what, Michelle? 
I just remember my dad reading Black Enterprise when I was a boy, and this just takes the cake. It was so awesome to watch. It matters. And the other thing is that, we, that Earl Graves Sr., our founder, has always made us conscious of, it not just matters emotionally. It matters in terms of real career and business advancement. In other words, mm -hmm. there are black companies who point to Black Enterprise rank me on their largest black-owned business as a credibility point to get that major contract. Totally. Um, Ken Chenault has said on the record, I, no one was paying attention to me, quote-unquote, Ken Chenault, when I was like a 30-something executive at American Express. Mm -hmm. The coverage made me someone to watch by other, the larger corporate America. Totally. Uh, and so it's like the, the good housekeeping seal of approval. So... There are people who, whose careers were advanced because no one was telling the story about how excellent they were. It's not that they weren't excellent, but Forbes wasn't checking for them. When Absolutely. Was up and coming for, you know, now when you make it, yeah, you'll get Yeah, it. Yep. they'll show but, up. <laughs> you know, we pride ourselves in saying, no, we know our community of leaders and business people and executives and experts well enough to tell you, you need to pay attention to them now because right. they're going to do something. Not right. wait until after they do something. I mean, Absolutely. Robert Smith, who, who obviously has been on the cover of Fortune and, and I think Forbes, but we identified him as our financial company of the year like six, seven years ago. Yeah, you of know, course. You know, so we know our own. We know our own and we celebrate our own. Absolutely. We celebrate our own, then they get, they're more likely to get their due in terms of compensation, contract, mm -hmm. et, et cetera, from the larger community. And that's our job. You know, again, that's the other standard that people trust, um, and, and, I, and I credit, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people over the years who, who deserve credit for this, but Derek Dingle, who is now Chief Content Officer, who was a former Editor-in-Chief, just as I was, um, uh, one of the best business journalists in the country, but he's, he represents the Black Enterprise Standard. We still believe in fact-checking. Mm -hmm. We still believe in, even in this age, you know, uh, where are the receipts? Right. Don't tell me you're a millionaire. Show me some receipts. Yes. You know, we, we need to see it. <laughs> you know, so if, if you make one of our lists, whether it's the top black executives in corporate America, whether it's the nation's largest black owned businesses, whatever the list that, that we do in all magazines, the do, do list, are, we pride ourselves in saying, no, these people are the real deal. Right. The rest of the business, corporate America and the rest of you know, business and industry trust the black, not just the black people, Non-black people say, oh, they were in black enterprise. Totally. Somehow they had to pass some kind of standard. Yes. And, and it's true for, you know how hard it is to get, be able to speak at our events. Absolutely. So, I mean, we don't just let anybody just roll because <laughs> they got a new book out and they got a, a, a Facebook page at, right. at the event. We're like, no. Right. Because somebody's paying both in time and money to be at the event. And we pride ourselves that if we say L. Michelle Smith is going to be there coaching or moderating a session or speaking right. on a panel, they are the real deal. So the same standard we use for our list, the same standard we use for who's on the website, the same standard we use who we're going to do video or, or do a broadcast, is the same standard we apply across the board. And so again, if you're at Forward and if you're not there, you should be there. Yes. There's still time to register. You need to get to Charlotte. Um, uh, you need to go because 
It's the real deal. It's the real thing. Right. You are the real deal. We don't, you know, we don't play that at Black Enterprise. Right. And it's, it, it's, it's life-changing. You are going to learn something that is going to put you on the right track to, like, smashing your goals. And I think gonna, people need to know that. And the people you meet. And you're going to meet somebody you need to meet. Yes. I always tell people, and, you know, I love social media. I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm on it all the time. LinkedIn, Twitter. I got itchy Twitter finger. Like, whenever I'm not, <laughs> like... You know, so, you know, I'm down with that. Yeah. But that's not a substitute for nope. getting on a plane or getting in a car or going and meeting and connecting and talking and building relationships face to face. Absolutely. Social media is great for maintaining those relationships. Yes, it's I mean, sustaining. I love it, you know, for that because, again, you and I see each other face to face twice a year. Yes. But we are engaging all the time. Right. So it's great. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not one of those anti-social media people. From, you know, of the baby boomer generation. I, I, mm -hmm. Me, I love. It. I'm like. Right. I'm not going back. I love it. Oh no. But you need to get in the room. People are like, I nobody will help me. I can't find mentorship. I can't find customers. I can't find. It's like, well, you can't do it. You just want to sit in your office. Right. <laughs> sit at home and expect it to come to you. Um, our, our CEO Butch Graves says. There's a funny thing about doing business. People don't come to bring me business. <laughs> right. You know, I you know, they don't just ring the phone and say, I got well, I got a contract for you. I got Right. <laughs> he said, No, to build a business, you have to go out. Right. And rather than try to go at forward, a thousand plus people will be in one place. That's mm -hmm. a lot more efficient. <laughs> Then you trying to yeah, and from across the nation and even around the world, and it's so important. Are going to take place between people who don't live in the same neighborhood, right? You know, right. If you want to break out of your zip code, this is a good chance. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs>
blackenterprise.com forward slash FWD and you can register. Next coming up, we have Lamar Tyler from Traffic, Sales, Profit. You probably know him also as Black and Married with Kids. He and his wife, Ronnie, are a pleasure. They have built some multi-million dollar legacy and empire. And he's out to tell you how to do it too. So you want to tune in next Thursday for Lamar Tyler. In the meantime, find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week, have a great The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Silos Communications.